0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه اجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما نافعا اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وارنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه رَبِّي إِشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسْرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْأُقْدَةً مِّنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Reflections on the Risale-e-Nur by beduul Sa'id Nursi podcast series. This is Mustafa Tuna. You can listen to the episodes of this series wherever you get your podcasts or at the website as you can see Uh, For those who are watching this, on the screen at the website, www.reflections-rn.org. Inshallah, as those who listened to this episode last week will remember, uh, we are now recording the podcasts on video and posting them on YouTube as well. And you can access the uh, YouTube uh, YouTube uh, video from the same website, www.reflections-rn.org. Um, in in the, the previous episode last week, we took a look at Badu Zaman Said Nursi's life. Of course, we had done this way before about three and a half years ago when this podcast first uh, first uh, started but since we are now doing the video version i wanted to go back and take another look at that and i am actually doing an extended version of uh, the biography of bedu uzaman Said nursi so as we tried to answer the question of who bedu uzaman Said nursi is we began with his childhood uh, and we took a quick look at his education. Uh, We learned that amazingly at around his mid-teens, around age 15, he had taken his ijazah, uh, his certificate of uh, scholarship. He was certified to teach and also to speak uh, on behalf of the the tradition of uh, Islam. As a scholar of Islam, he had become an alim in that uh, that young age, uh, mashallah. He had two ijazahs, and both of these ijazahs went to extend it to Ali radiallahu anh, through Imam Ghazali, uh, mashaAllah. So that's where we uh, started, and inshaAllah in this episode we will continue from where we left. So we mentioned that having received his ijazah, Ustad Nursi begins traveling around the various towns, cities, villages, in the vicinity of his hometown, uh, the the village of Nurs in the town of Bitlis, in the Kurdish inhabited uh, territories to the southeast of Anatolia, which was known as Kurdistan uh, at the time. And after teaching and preaching in various Kurdish provinces for about a year, in 1897, he accepts an invitation from the governor of the city of Wan and moves there. Now, uh, as we mentioned, his photographic memory, sharp intellect, uh, deep, deep ikhlas, sincerity, attracts the attention of everybody in this uh, region. So, very quickly, he becomes famous, and he comes to be known as Bada'u Zama, the marvel of the time. <clears throat> so the governor of one uh the the city of one also hears this and invites him to come to one and teach there also uh the governor of one in a sense becomes uh, beduza Said nursi's patron now that governor will change uh you know after a short while but the new uh, governor who replaces the old one also uh Likes Badu Zaman a lot and hosts him in his mansion and gives him lots of opportunities in order to research, uh, study, and teach. So he stays in this less provincial city. Van is less provincial than the areas that Badu Zaman Said Nursi had been traveling through for about 10 years. So 1897 to 1907, Badu Zaman Said Nursi will be in the city of Van. Meanwhile, he also explores modern scientific and political literature in the governor's evidently large library. Now, this governor is a, an Ottoman-educated uh, official, uh, which means that he attended the westernized institutions of education in the empire. He had preserved his religiosity, so he was a you know, pious person, uh, and that's why he takes an interest in Buddhism on Nursi and supports him you know, through and through. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he most likely uh, spoke french and he was an intellectual he subscribed to magazines he ordered uh, books in translation and probably in original uh, you know publications in french etc so he had a large library where he had uh, not only um, you know texts printed in the ottoman empire but imported texts which uh, must have given access to Bedouz Zaman Said Nursi to um the scientific literature and the philosophical literature of the time now that library burnt that mansion was burnt in in a fire and the, the library is lost so we do not know exactly what was in the library but we know that Bedouz Zaman Said Nursi here studies geography astronomy algebra mathematics um to an extent that he has enough knowledge in all of these fields uh, to be able to engage in, in in scholarly debates with the experts of these fields, experts at the level of high school teachers. So the governor uh, also enjoyed, you know, watching Bedouz Zaman Saeed Nursi engage in debates with other people and uh, out debate them so he would he would invite to his mansion high school teachers maybe medical doctors veterinarians uh, whoever was around uh, among the intellectuals of uh, of the city and then open up topics and have Bedouza Saeed Nursi discuss with these individuals um So recognizing the challenge, Badu Zaman Said Nursi takes an interest in the governor's library and goes through it the way he went through all other texts uh, with his photographic memory, uh, mashallah. We do not know if he learned French. It's quite likely that he may have learned French and uh, read texts in French uh, too. uh, Because he was so intelligent, he could learn languages uh, very easily. And later on in his life, when he becomes a member of uh, the House of uh, wisdom of Islam, the Dar al-Hikmat after World War I in Istanbul, as he was becoming a member, as he was being appointed to that institute, he passes a test uh, for for French. So at some point he learned uh, some French and he may have lo- uh, read the material there too, but whether he read in French or not, there was enough material in translation. So he learns the what we can call the positive sciences of the time too. Um, So as it writes there, because this library perished in a fire, we do not know exactly what he read, what he studied. However, it appears that he had mastered advanced works in several disciplines of knowledge from physiology. Yeah, that's interesting because he writes a a treatise in physiology that's lost along with another treatise he wrote on algebra and those are both lost in that fire and geography to philosophy and algebra to the extent that he would be tested by the experts of those disciplines at the governor's manor and consistently come out undefeated. So, mashallah, we know that he had become an accomplished scholar in the uh, sciences of Islam. Tafsir, usul al tafsir usul hadith, um, Arabic language, balagha, uh, which is like the eloquence, uh, g- grammar, uh, logic, um, so on and so forth. He had become an expert in all of these, and now he is becoming an expert in the positive sciences of the time too so he has two wings he he is a scholar with two wings that he and he can move uh, with those two wings mashallah now in 1907 ustad nursi travels to istanbul the capital of the ottoman empire primarily to seek financial and political support to open a madrasa that would teach religious and positive sciences together simultaneously in turkish kurdish and arabic in the empire's eastern lands Now, Bedu Zaman Said Nursi is born in Kurdistan. He is a child of this uh, region. And he has enormous um, concern for the ummah, all people, the ummah, and the people uh, in a local community. He wants to serve. He wants to do something uh, for them. And he recognizes that the existing systems of education that are in place the existing institutions that preserve knowledge religion religiosity ethics morals they are falling short um, there are these positive sciences and there are some schools that teach the positive sciences but they are they those schools exist in such a paradigm that those who attend these schools become religious or they don't become atheists they they still perhaps you know remain muslim but they lose their respect for religion the paradigm changes the authority of religion in their minds is replaced by the authority of rational thinking of or, or experimentation and observation the positive sciences and even when they are religious they want to verify the veracity of religion with positive sciences so there's a shift that's happening and on the other hand there are the madrasas that are continuing to teach in with the methods that they had been teaching for centuries but they are falling behind they are um becoming disconnected with the changes changes that are happening in the world and Bedouz Zaman Said Nursi has two wings. He wants other people to have two wings too. So he thinks of an institution, a, a system of madrasas. Actually, not one madrasa, but a system of madrasas, a few madrasas in uh, you know, critical locations, well-chosen strategic locations in the region. And he also is seeing that the people of the region speak uh, Kurdish. The governors, official, officials, officers speak Turkish, and there's a disconnect there too, right? And then the language of scholarship in Islam, of course, is Arabic. So he wants to have a system of madrasas. He, uh, he will call them madrasat zahra he, he wants to have a system of madrasas where he can teach both the religious sciences and the positive sciences, and also do so in three languages, Turkish, Kurdish, and Arabic, MashaAllah. But this is a big uh, initiative. And he needs support uh, for that initiative. This is not something that he can do as an individual uh, with the small resources that can possibly procure in the region. It is something that, that, that will serve the society broadly. And he wants the government to finance this. To have, to have the government finance this, he needs to go to Istanbul and ask for money from the palace. Um, the governor of one also likes the idea and supports him, so he writes a letter uh, for him. And take, having that letter of recommendation, Saeed Nursi, uh, or Bedu Zaman Saeed, or Mullah Saeed, as he was called at this time, goes to Istanbul. It is late 1907 when he sets out. He probably arrives end of December or the beginning of uh, 1908. Now, this is an interesting time in the Ottoman Empire, as let's read uh, first from here. A few months after his arrival in Istanbul, Ustad Nursi finds himself in the thick of revolutionary developments that transformed the Sultanate into a constitutional monarchy. So the Sultanate... <clears throat> the Ottoman Empire uh, becomes a constitutional monarchy shortly after Bedrusem Sayyid Nursi arrives in Istanbul. How does this happen? We have the Young Turks, these uh, young men who graduated from Westernized institutions of education in the Empire, for whom that the, the, the balance of that authority between reason and revelation shifted. Uh, reason comes first. Many of them became atheists too. And it is not only Muslims, there are non Muslims among them too, especially early on. Uh, they will be eliminated in time, right? But this is the young intellectuals of the empire, and many of them are officers in the military. Now, because they are officers in the military, they have access to power. And in 1908, they organized a coup and they forced the Sultan Abdul Hamid II. Uh, to sign a constitution, uh, which then turns the regime of the empire into a constitutional monarchy. Now, this had happened before, uh, when Abdul Hamid II came to power. uh, But using the Russo-Ottoman war as an excuse and not having patience for the intricacies of a constitutional monarchy at the time, you know, this is something new really. Uh, Abdul Hamid II abolishes the constitution and along with that abolishes the parliament that the constitution entailed. In 18, uh, He does this in 1878, shortly after he comes to uh, power as a sultan. So 1908, 30 years after the young Turks pushed their way and in, introduce a constitution, in, introduce a parliament, the Ottoman Empire turns into a constitutional monarchy. Now, Abdul Hamid II was trying to preserve the Ottoman Empire. Uh, This was a very hard time uh, for the empire. For all Muslim states around the world, for all non-European non-North American countries in the world, uh, this was a time of European ascendancy, European domination. Uh, the Ottoman Empire was in the process of being carved out by the powers uh, out there, including uh, especially Russia, uh, Austria, Hungary, uh, and then Britain in, uh, you know, parts of the empire that are further from the center like egypt uh, in north africa by the french so it was a very hard very difficult time and abdul ii was trying to hold the empire together and his methods were uh quite arbitrary and quite um dictatorial so there was a pushback against this dictatorial um Regime that Abdul Hamid II had established, and Bedu Zaman Said Nursi took his share from that dictatorial um, centralized system. When he went to Istanbul, he was not welcomed there uh, by the palace. He actually was not given access to the uh, the, the the sultan. Uh, at some point, he was actually put in. Uh, a mental asylum, uh, then in jail. Uh, so he he wants to show himself here. Uh, he wants to make sure that this young man who came from the eastern lands of the empire, which is which are perceived to be backwards, is not backwards. He has enough knowledge to uh, to vie with the intellectuals and scholars of uh, Istanbul, the top intellectuals and top scholars of the. <clears throat> empire uh, so, so he does daring things and some of these daring things are mis- misunderstood uh and you know in- including going to the palace and uh speaking in a daring way uh with the officers there so he's first put in a mental asylum then in jail then released. sorry put, put in a put in jail then mental asylum then eventually released around that time the uh the young Turk revolution takes place. The country turns into a constitutional monarchy. So, Bedouzama Said Nursi had a liberal attitude. And when I use the word liberal, I don't use it in the modern uh, sense, modern uh, North Atlantic sense of the word. Uh, I, I, I don't mean that he was economically liberal. Right, uh, let them pass. Let them do. Let them pass. Uh, he, he he was not a liberal in a social sense. In a, in a social sense, of course, he was conservative. He's a religious uh, scholar, but he is politically liberal. He is for the idea of uh, representation, the wishes, ideas, concerns of uh, the larger population being taken into consideration in the process of government. he is for the absence of oppression and establishment of justice, right? So he was liberal in this sense. And throughout his life, he maintains this attitude. In 1908, this uh, was articulated or this manifest as constitutional monarchy. So he supports constitutional monarchy. Later on, uh, when the republic was instituted in the lands of the Ottoman Empire as a Turkish Republic before the abolishment of the caliphate and so on and so forth, before you know the the kinds of nonsense that the early uh, ruling elite of the country introduces in Turkey, he supports republic. He considers himself a republican person. Uh, He is always for freedom. The idea of freedom is like one of his core uh, values. And in the 1950s when democracy was introduced and pronounced more prominently in the country he supports democracy right so this is his principled attitude he' is, he he is a um, he is for freedom right political freedom i'm not talking about individual freedom I'm not talking about freedom from uh, the Um, constraints of the Sharia, and so on and so forth. When the constitutional monarchy was declared, uh, that in Turkish is meşrutiyet, right? So meşrutiyet means uh, conditional, right? Uh, There will be a constitution and the powers of the government will be limited by the conditions of the constitution. This is the idea. And he says, this is very good, but meşrutiyet should be meşru'a, Meshrutiyah to i.e. these conditions should be determined by the Sharia, right? So he is not liberal, he is not for freedom in the sense of being uh, cut off from the constraints of uh, Sharia, right? God's, uh, what God has ordained, but rather he is uh, for freedom in the sense of human beings not oppressing human beings, human beings not establishing themselves as dictators over human beings. So he supports uh, the constitutional monarchy in this sense, uh, before many of the problems that the young Turk rule will uh, manifest, becomes manifest early on. He puts his knowledge and oratory skills Um, in the service of the expanding freedoms in the empire in this period. Though, importantly, he would insist that those freedoms should be exercised within the bounds of the Sharia. Yet, the initial euphoria of the revolution soon leaves its place to a chaotic struggle for power in the empire. So, it doesn't end there. Hamid II was, yes, uh, had some oppressive means, Uh, was ruling with a you know heavy hand Uh, you can consider him a dictator an authoritarian person but at the same time he had established the balances so well between various uh, powers that were trying to destroy the Ottoman Empire so balancing Russia with Austria-Hungary so on so forth and various powers within the Empire He had balanced balanced these out so well that he was able to preserve the empire despite all the odds, despite the the fact that all the cards were decked against the the empire. When his wisdom is taken out and when his uh, methods are taken out, the empire falls into total chaos and the young Turks who come to power at this time, start to fight among themselves so there are factions that existed uh, in in the you know broader cohort of young turks and those factions now start to uh, make an imprint on how the country is being ruled so <clears throat> seeing this house taking over and also seeing that the young turks are not implementing the sharia and at some point, he actually uh, ends up being uh, court-martialed and tried uh, by the Young Turks. There was a uh, rebellion against Young Turk rule in 1909. He never supports rebellion, right? He never supported a popular uh, rebellion in his life. Uh, he did not like the idea of uh, Muslim, Muslims fighting Muslims, uh, Muslim rebels fighting Muslim soldiers. He did not like the idea of the sword being uncheathed um, within the domain of Islam. Uh, he did not like the idea of war in general. But of course, if war was necessary to defend <coughs> the lands of Islam, he was there and he showed that uh, he would be there in this in this case. <coughs> but the the, the, the and he actually tries to calm people down during that rebellion, 1909. But regardless, uh, he was uh, considered a suspect and was tried. And he, you know, comes out of the trial being exonerated. Uh, but the the initial euphoria, the initial optimism, gradually lose lose uh, leaves its place to you know all this chaos and. He, he also in the in the meanwhile he also secured some money to establish his uh, madrasa to Zahra, this institutional ed- educational institution that he wanted to introduce in the, in Kurdistan. So in 1912 he returns to uh, the city of one, having secured some uh, finance uh, finance uh, for the madrasa, and actually lays out a foundation. Uh, Now, there's some controversy about this uh, that I will briefly uh, mention. Some people have suggested that he had received upwards of 12,000 liras from the uh, state at this time, and he got that money and used that money throughout the rest of his life. He survived with that money. That is not correct. That is not how the government uh, functioned. They would not give 12,000 liras to anybody. uh, You know, put this in your pocket and go build a madrasa. In the city of Van, twelve thousand liras were uh, earmarked for his project, and about one thousand of that was sent to the governor's office in the city of uh, uh, Van uh, to be used uh, for the madrasa that he wanted to uh, build. And the governor allocated him uh, some land, and the, the foundations of this madrasa was uh, laid. And in the meanwhile, he also started to teach in the city of van he had students uh, he so so he began uh, his madrasa without the, the building and the system but he began teaching uh, students but but the advent of world war one will prevent him from from being able to complete this project uh, the madrasa to zahra 1914 world war one begins and ustad nursi being a man of the times that he lived in and you know always uh standing up to the challenge puts that project on the side madrasa to zahra the madrasa project on the side and with about we don't know exactly how many but probably upwards of 200 students that he had been teaching at the time, using that as a core, and uh, gathering volunteers from the tribes of the region. He establishes a regiment of voluntary soldiers, a militia uh, unit to defend, to defend the region uh, against the Russian armies that from the beginning of the war will advance. Uh, so at the beginning of the war, we have this uh, battle in the Caucasus Sarkomish. Uh the Ottoman forces, unfortunately, lose badly there. Uh, they did not have uh, the logistical resources that they needed to fight in the cold climate of uh, the, the, the mountains of the region. And many of them die uh, freezing, unfortunately. So um, and from there on, the Russians uh, start to advance into Ottoman lands, they're occupying Ottoman lands and Stad Nursi uh, puts together this voluntary regiment. Uh, of course, you know, he's not acting on his own. Uh, well, he is, uh, he, he's doing this in consultation with the uh, government and starts to defend uh, the, the, the lands of Islam against the advancing Russian soldiers, Russian armies. Now, this is a really, really um, interesting period. Bedouz Zaman Said Nursi is commanding about a thousand or so soldiers commanding a militia unit. Uh, and these are all really brave uh, soldiers. The, 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 the unit, you know, makes a name uh, for itself. Wherever there is a real difficult task, they are being sent there as a hit unit. So they are moving from place to place. The, the fighting is going on. But at the same time, Badu Zaman Sayyid Nursi, SubhanAllah, begins writing a um, commentary, a Qur'anic commentary. Now, he actually begins, the thought of writing this commentary is before the, the time of the war, but um, he, he he starts to write a more like clean copy during the war. <clears throat> and the idea is that he thinks the Qur'an being a... Um, the Qur'an reflecting all the divine names and the most tremendous level of all the divine names covers everything. And of course, this is, uh, you know, uh, supported by the verses, by the the broader understanding of the uh, tradition. There is nothing dry or uh, wet, wet that is not in the Qur'an, right? So we, this is endorsed by uh, the Qur'an itself. Everything is in the Qur'an. Uh, it was Omar, if I am not mistaken who who would say that if if he lost his uh, the, the bridle of his camel, right? He would look for it in the Quran. Everything is in the Quran, provided that we know how to look for it. So if everything is in the Quran, and no single individual can, uh, you know, the Prophet sallallahu aside, no single individual can comprehend all of what is in the Quran, right? Uh, he thought that there has to be a commission with experts in various fields who should come together and study the Quran and write a commentary. But of course, you know, this is not something that materializes. It has still not materialized materialized in the way that Zaman Said Nursi thought it should uh, materialize. And that not materializing, he wants to uh, start writing this commentary himself, not from all perspectives, not from all uh, fields of study uh, that that could be utilized in writing a commentary on the Qur'an, but especially focusing on the eloquence of the Qur'an. So, he starts writing a commentary. Um, The interesting thing is, much of what he wrote at the time, and he was able to comment on the first chapter of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Fatiha, and the first 33 verses of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah the second chapter of the Quran and you know all put together it is a a volume a, a you know moderate sized uh, volume he writes or authors much of this as he is commanding his army in many cases on horseback he has one of his students riding with him and whenever possible stopping you know the the bullets are flying around uh, whenever possible, stopping and dictating to his uh, student, right? Right, and then he, he says, and the student writes. And it's an amazing, amazing commentary. And it shows the ikhlas, the sincerity of purpose that Badu Zaman Said Nursi had with regard to the Quran at this time, because even the bullets flying around cannot distract him from his focused attention. On the quran um so he hoped that this would be the first volume and he would continue and finish this uh, commentary uh, which he had planned to be around 60 or 70 volumes all put together that commentary remains as a manuscript early on and uh, as we will see later after, uh, you know, uh, later, he is going to receive some support from uh, the government and print and what, was po- uh, what was authored uh, during this really, really uh, chaotic time in one volume. And later on, that volume became a part of Beda Said Nursi's larger compendium of works, the reside i nur uh, collection, the Epistles of Light uh, collection. It is one of the uh, books in the Epistles of Light. However, he never was able to continue past the 33rd verse of the first chapter of the Quran and finish this uh, commentary, this exegesis in the way that he wanted to uh, finish. But he says that the risale Nur in his place uh, became a, an accessible commentary on the Quran. Perhaps the, the gist of what he would have put there. Uh, in that ex- exegesis. Okay. Um, the, of course, um, painful and comes uh, with the advance of the Russians. And while defending uh, the city of One against advancing Russian forces, Uh, Bedouz Zaman Said Nursi eventually was wounded from one of his legs. His leg is broken and he falls a prisoner of war to the advancing Russian forces. Now, that last battle actually was very, very important and um, useful in the sense that the local population of the city of Van was able to escape the advancing Russian forces, partly because. the Armenian forces that were part of the Russian army uh, in the places that they went would uh, torture and oppress the population quite a bit. So uh, that last battle that Bediouzaman Said Nursi and his uh, militia unit fought helped the local population of want to escape uh, very likely uh, torture and and, and uh, oppression. But he, he felt a, pr- a prisoner of war and he was taken to um the the city called Kostroma in northern Volga region uh the border of Siberia uh, northern parts of uh the, the empire if you you know if you imagine the Volga river that flows into the Caspian Sea and follow that all the way to the end um, to the city of Kazan in the north where it makes a leftward banned right if you need you would need to go a bit more the city of Kostroma is there so he was taken to that city with several other Ottoman soldiers and officers and he will spend uh, close to two years as a prisoner of war in that city most um, in Ottoman prisoners were uh, stationed in a uh, prison that had that was turned from a a vodka factory into a uh, prison Um, but the local tatar population now there are lots of muslims living in that area and they are primarily tatars the local uh, tatar muslims notice this uh, precious scholar uh, and they uh, vouch for him and they take him out of the prison and they uh, have him um, stay in a small mosque in the city of Kostroma and that small mosque as we will see becomes a really important location in 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 Bedouzaman Said Nursi's life the isolation that he has there uh, in a sense serves as as Chile or Halwa that you know the, the 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 Sufis when they uh, travel on their on their spiritual path from time to time they withdraw into this isolation it's called chile or halwa it's usually 40 days and they uh, dedicate their entire time and energy and thought to contemplation and to God so this little mosque serves as a place of halwa for Beda Zama Nursi and it was the location of uh, in a sense, a location for his transition from his earlier life. The active, uh, sharp, daring scholar and also activist, right? Commander, right? The, the, from that earlier life to a more contemplative and um, gentler uh, person that Zaman Said Nursi comes to call as the new Said so for the period before uh, this halwa in, the, in Kastrama, and it's not going to end there. That's a process, a process that continues for a few uh, years. Uh, but it starts there. The, from this process, the period of, you can call it a spiritual surge, a spiritual crisis. And many giants of the Islamic tradition have a period like this in their lives. Imam Ghazali, as famously known, uh, was a, you know, professor, a mudarris uh, or the head mudarris of the Madrasa of Nizamiya. And at some point he comes to a point, he's like so constricted, a uh, spiritual that he cannot teach any longer. He leaves everything and travels. Uh, Mawlana Jalaluddin Rumi has a period like this in his life. Uh, Abdul Qadir Jilani or Gailani mm-hmm. has a period like this in his life. So this is a pattern that we, that we observe in the Uh, in the ummah, in the giants of the ummah. So he goes through a period of spiritual search, spiritual crisis. Uh, If you will, he goes through a suluk, wayfaring, uh, at the end of which he will come out as a new person and he calls that new person new Sayyid. But this Kostroma, period of uh, imprisonment, Kostroma is so important uh, Because this is the beginning of it. This is where things, if you will, are triggered. Uh, But, you know, there will be more, of course, to the process. And we will talk about that, inshallah. So, approximately two lonely years of introspection in this northern city of Kostroma marks the beginning of a spiritual crisis. Maybe we should call it spiritual uh, search. Spiritual wayfaring. That... Lasts more than a decade for St. so it was not you know overnight. It was a process. Um, meanwhile, the war is going, uh, continuing. The Ottoman Empire is unfortunately losing. At the beginning, at the Battle of Gallipoli, for instance, it looks like they they could uh, you know come out victorious from this war. But as the war turns into a war of attrition, uh, it becomes a matter of not only the bravery of the soldiers and the, uh, the fighting power of the existing army, but also and more importantly so, a function of the ability of the, the state, the country to sustain the war effort. Uh, so that comes down to economy. And the Ottoman Empire, of course, entered the war as an ally of Germany, um, Austria-Hungary, and Bulgaria. Uh, But the the engine of this this, this alliance was uh, Germany, and Germany had a lot of industrial, a a really um, burgeoning, booming economy, but it was constrained to Europe, Uh, the allied powers, Britain, uh, France, later on Italy, later on America. They had access to the seas, they were able to mobilize more resources. So when things turn into a war of attrition by the end of 1917 or so, and Russia, of course, is also with Britain and France, uh, you know, by the end of 1917 or so, it becomes relatively clear that the central powers are not going to do well at the end of this. However, Russia was not doing well either because its economy was not on par with the economy of Germany or England or France, uh, and as the war extends, it is, it will, uh, start to lose its ability to, to, to sustain the war. Uh, Britain attempted to support it, logistically. That's one of the main reasons why they opened the Battle of Gallipoli, uh, in. To the south of the marmara sea at this straits between the marmara sea and the aegean or you know mediterranean seas uh but the ottomans were able to stop them there and once they could not cross the gallipoli they could not reach istanbul they could not cross the bosphorus they could not provide logistical support to uh, russia through the black sea um Plus, Russia was a huge country, and it was not easy for Britain. Even if they had access, it was not a- easy for them to you know, provide all the logistical support that Russia would have, would, not would have, Russia needed in order to sustain the war effort. So the Russian economy collapses. Uh, that leads to a revolution in Russia. Uh, the Bolsheviks take over. The uh, regime completely collapses, and chaos... Uh, follows this uh, follows the Bolshevik Revolution in November 1917 and taking advantage of this chaos Bedouzaman Said Nursi escapes from uh, Kostroma and that's a really interesting story too but I don't want to go into too much detail about these uh, stories we are doing a trying to do a broad uh, um, survey of his life so he escapes from Kostroma and uh, through Central Europe we know that he had been to um, Austria through Bulgaria he comes back to Istanbul so he escapes from imprisonment during Russia's chaotic state in the wake of the Bolshevik Revolution at the end of 1917 he travels to Istanbul through Europe and upon his arrival he was welcomed as a war hero and in rec- recognition of his scholarly aptitude, he was appointed as a member of the empire's highest recently founded, highest council of Islamic scholarship called Darul Hikmet al at the House of the Wisdom of Islam. Now, Bedouzaman Said Nursi was famous before he, f- he went back to want to, to found his uh, madrasa. He was famous in Istanbul. He was famous across the empire uh so he was known uh but he became more famous when the stories of his uh heroism and the stories of the heroism of his militia unit and that he fell fell a a pow to to russians became widespread so when he comes back to istanbul he is really welcome like a hero Uh, he is appointed a member of this uh, institute uh, he has a good salary. One of his nephews comes and starts to stay with him. So his nephew is uh, you know, helping him, serving him, you know, helping him in the household, uh, acting like a secretary. Uh, whenever he wants to write something, he can dictate to this nephew who is also, he also becomes a student of Bediüzzaman Said Nursi. He rents a house in Çamlıca, which is one of the nicest places in uh, Istanbul. So he has a really nice life. And later on, when he looks at this retrospectively, he thinks that this was a period when the world was sucking him in, right? Um, that the effects of that spiritual awakening in Kostroma uh, starts to be felt less in his life. Now, he is still awakening. Things are still happening in his soul, right? But the world is distracting him to a large extent, early on but then he has another awakening so this is awakening after awakening one day uh, while shaving looking at the mirror he notices that there are white pieces of uh, beard appearing in his beard maybe here too and this reminds him of the reality of death and that comes as a shock right so what's happening here now he's not doing anything bad we should you know, emphasize he's a member of the the house of the wisdom of Islam al right this is the highest Institute of scholarship he is being a scholar he is serving the ummah he's uh, searching for solutions to the pressing problems of the Empire this is end of war uh, the Ottomans of course are defeated they capitulate the British occupy uh, Istanbul. Um, the war of resistance, or resistance, is starting all around Anatolia against invading Allied forces. Plus, the Greeks are now invading Anatolia, uh, but Istanbul itself, the seat of power of the Caliphate, is under occupation, and the British are acting quite insolently in the city. And Bedu Zaman Zaman Said Nursi is. Um, fighting against this insolence in istanbul he is writing uh, treatises he is writing uh, articles he is talking in order to preserve the morale and in order to respond to um, the the insolent acts such as of the british such as the anglican church comes to istanbul and asks the scholars of uh, istanbul questions that are like challenging uh Islam and this is a long tradition the missionaries had a long tradition of uh studying uh, the, the sources of Islam investigating things and then coming up with challenging questions and uh you know there's a the literature of refutations written against uh, these uh, these uh, missionary works but now the british are coming from a, po- a position of power, and with that power behind them, the members of the Anglican Church are asking these insolent questions to scholars of the city. And you know many of those scholars are now writing treatises to respond to those questions, and Bedouz Zaman Nursi writes a uh, brief piece in which he says, we are going to respond to those uh, insolent questions because they are insult, not because they are questions, not because they are, you know, scholarly questions that need an answer. Right? That that's a separate issue. Right? We are going to respond to those six questions with six uh, spits. We are going to spit on their face six times in response to this. And then he also goes ahead and you know gives very brief answers to those questions and brief but to the point answer to the question uh, to those uh, questions. So he is doing his jihad, continuing to do his jihad in Istanbul. Uh, He is serving the ummah, serving in the way of God in Istanbul. But still, still, the comforts of the world bother him. He feels like this is not the real thing. The real thing is something beyond, right? All of this, all of what's happening here. This is, this is going, this is not going to last. Even these tre- tremendous transformations, that the caliphate is, uh, you know, in, uh, the, the seat of the caliphate is occupied. The Ottoman Empire is disintegrating. There is a resistance beginning against this. Even these, even these, will disappear. And what will be left will be one's heart and one's connection to God. So he wants to focus on that as all of these other things are going on, right? So yet the realization of the ephemeral nature of this fame, so he's famous, right? And the worldly blessings that accompany it, you know, he is known by everybody, he is respected by everybody, he has a nice salary, he has a nice job, he has a nice company, he has a nice house, right? The ephemeral nature of this fame and the worldly blessings that accompany it this realization of the frustration with all of this deepens in his inner crisis in his awakening, and by the way, because of his let's um, call it fight against the British, uh, th- there was an order of order for him to be shot. Right, the British, British control Istanbul, and they pass an order to for him to be shot wherever he's found. If British soldiers find him, they are going to shoot him. And there are a few occasions where uh, he he scrapes, uh, you know, with death as a result of this. So he rents a place uh, in, you know, outside of the then Istanbul, and he leaves his house in Çamlıca, he rents a place outside of Istanbul, and he again withdraws from uh, society to some extent, and once again, he's in Halwa, there. And there... He comes, ultimately comes out of this uh, crisis, process of awakening with spiritual assistance from Abdul Qadr al-Gilani, or Gailani, the, uh, the, 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 the giant of the Islamic tradition, whom we can consider to be uh, at the beginning of, at the font of all Sufi orders, right? Abdul Qadir J- uh, Gailani, and Imam Rabbani. Imam Rabbani is the 17th century. He is also called Mujadid Al- al-Sani. So he is also considered the Mujaddid of the second thousand years of uh, Islam, uh, who lived in India, the Mughal Empire, and uh, initiated a new branch in the Naqshbandi-Sufi Naqshband, order. A very, very important figure. Uh, and, um, in this process, the spiritual assistance that Bedi Sayyid Nursi receives from these two giants of the Islamic tradition are, is that um, he says Fatuh al-Ghaib by Abdul Qadir Jilani, he says he, he read that, but the content he describes uh, fits uh, Abdul Qadir Jilani's Fatul Rabbani, and this is probably because at the time when they printed books, they would you know, print one book and on the margins they would print another book. So he, he probably had a volume, the title of which was al Ghaib, but in the margins of that book, he, or in addition to Fatuhul Ghaib, in that book, Fatul Rabbani was also included. So he's reading Fatul Rabbani and he's reading um, um, Imam Rabbani's uh, Maktubat in this period. And he says that Patu Rabbani really operated on his soul because it exposes the deficiencies of the soul, the, the weaknesses of the soul, the appetites of the soul. He, it, it exposes them and it um, scolds the reader uh, for not, not properly acting uh, to, to cleanse the soul, to cleanse the heart from all those so that operates on his soul and that becomes very painful so he puts the book on the side and he reads uh, Maktubat Rabbani, and that is like gentler and that's you know takes his hand Imam Rabbani is taking his hand and you know taking him, him through what we may understand as Bedu uh, Zaman Sa'id Suluk and at the end after a while when that operation uh, does what it, it it did in terms of Healing, he comes back to Fatal Rabbani. Now he reads it more easily. And, and, long story made short, he comes to the end of his look. Bedouzaman Said Nursi comes to a very powerful realization uh, at the end of this uh, process. This spiritual assistance guides him away from the weaknesses of his commanding soul. Nafs, like evil commanding soul. For fame, and it's subtle tendency to seek solutions to worldly problems through worldly arrangements. This is important. Up to this point, Bedouzama Bedouza al-Said Nursi, Nursi is an activist. He is in the world. He's diagnosing the problems of the Muslim society. He is trying to come up with solutions to them. And those solutions are you know, taking this putting from there you know, taking that, for putting from from there, putting here, arranging things within the world, right? Disposing things within the world. Those are the kinds of solutions that is coming up with up to this point, right? Now, is that wrong? No, it is perfectly fine. But he is now reaching a an even higher level of realization. The, if you will, the maqam al siddq the station of veracity where causes and effects lose their um relevance because you start to see that the 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 the, the works of the causer of all causes you start to see the causes and the effects equally as the works of the causer of of, uh, all causes and from that station from that place one looks at the world with a different with, with a different um, perspective and starts to come up with solutions to the problems that one sees here in different ways, focusing on the soul, focusing on the root causes. Because whatever is happening in the world, right beyond the Material worthy causes that we can attribute to them. There is the will of the causer of all causes, and the causer of all causes disposes things uh, in our service to the extent that we can come close to him. Right? With our worship, with our uh, extra worship, with our sincerity. To a point that, as he says in the Quran, right? He he becomes our hand. He becomes our eyes. He becomes our ears. He becomes the power that is disposing the world before his slave. And at that point, you know the the disposal of. Uh, where the things by our involvement becomes irrelevant because we know that he is the one who is disposing and we put our trust in him and he disposes them of for us now he, he disposes them for us but of course there still is a nizam there still is a, an order in the world and that order exists because of his will right and we are charged charged with uh, with acting according to Right? Uh, According to that order, taking the means within the bounds of uh, that order, right? But the actions are according to intentions. Taking those means by putting our trust in the means versus taking those means by putting our trust in God and because those means are manifestations of the will of our Lord. Okay? Now, this is probably a deeper matter that may require a longer explanation but in a nutshell this is what's happening with Beduzama Sayyid Nursi this spiritual assistance from Abdul Qadir Jilani and Imam Rabbani and in the process possibly Ali radiallahu anh, right he he doesn't articulate this as clearly as the others but Ali radiallahu is coming into the picture he began with Ahmad Hani the uh, 17th century saint poet uh, a Kurdish uh, saint and poet in his Oasi connections. And if you don't understand what this term is, please l- listen to the previous episode uh, of this uh, of this uh, recording, recordings. Then Imam Ghazali, then uh, Abdul Abu J- uh, Gailani and Imam Rabbani, and then most likely uh, Imam Ali, radiallahu anh. These are his spiritual guides in this uh, process. This spiritual assistance guides Ustad Nursi away from the weaknesses of his commanding soul and its subtle tendency to seek solutions to worldly problems through worldly arrangements. With advice from Imam Rappani, he resolves to concentrate all of his intellectual and spiritual effort on understanding the Qur'an and proclaiming its message. This is a ugly world that's emerging around him. The institutions that preserved religion and religiosity among Muslims in the ummah for centuries are being demolished, disappearing. Right, The caliphate is in the process of disappearing. It's not abolished yet. That's going to happen in 1924. But it's, it's lost its functionality. Right? Madrasas, the Sufi orders, everything is crumbling apart. The entire Muslim world is being colonized. Even the seat of power of the Caliphate is lost to the the European uh, powers. And beyond the physical force of this colonization, the secular... um, worldview and practices the secularity of europe is now being imported um, forced in and evolutionally imported to the lands of islam so this is a period of tremendous crisis unlike any period in the history of islam before even the mongol invasions of 1256 Right. In terms, of, if, you, if you look at the how widespread those invasions were, it did not affect the entire world of Islam. And where it affected, it wasn't that as pervasive as what we can call European modernity. So this is a time of crisis unlike any time in the, in the history of Islam. We need solutions unlike any that have been produced before in response to uh, problems. Perhaps perhaps with the exception of the time of the Prophet وسلم, when he came to uh, the, the, the Asr Jahiliyyah the, the, the age of ignorance right in terms of quantity at a smaller scale but in terms of uh, quiddity what's happening it's similar so with advice from Imam Rabbani Bedu Zaman Sayyid Nursi resolves to concentrate all of his intellectual and spiritual efforts on understanding the Quran and proclaiming its message if there will be a solution to the dire problems of this troubled age those solutions will come from the Quran because that is the source the Quran and the sunnah of course as the uh, as the, as the you know first interpretation of the Quran and the uh, the Quran being put into practice right so he focuses his entire attention On the Quran, he develops this really deep and intimate relationship with the Quran. And from there on, the solutions that he is going to produce, the insights that he is going to um, develop, the inspirations that he is going to receive, right? For all of them, the source is the Quran, the Sunnah, and those works of earlier giants of the tradition that have been inspired by the Qur'an that are uh, like windows to look at the Qur'an. Not works uh, that Bedouzaman Said Nursi is going to read and, and um, interact for their own sake but works that he is going to read study understand interact as instruments to look at the Quran so in the past episode for instance i mentioned this uh, book of prayers and litanies and ahzab and so on and so forth majmuat al ahzab right it's a collection of the gist of the teachings of the giants of islam he's going to you know keep that on his side right but at the center and permanently now we have the Quran he becomes in a sense a translator of the message of the Quran for the age that we live in so inshallah we'll stop here and uh, mashallah Bedi Zaman Nursi was an ocean and the more we dip into the ocean the more it comes uh, it's difficult to finish this in a brief uh, time, uh, but I see that it's already past an hour. Inshallah, we will stop here and continue this in the uh, following episode. Subhanaka Allahi lillana illa ma allamtana innaka anta al hakim <Hebrew> <speaking> wa hum alamin. Al-Fatiha. <Hebrew> Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.